0: And welcome to the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove. and I'm joined by a man with a bulging contact list. (laughs) His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I I guess I think we share a contact list, though, don't we? We we do, but you've been working it. That's true. That's true. Um, Especially, you know, because I've been taking days Mm -hmm. off for for health reasons here and there. (laughs) Again, I love when you phrase it as though it's vacation. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not the the ideal vacation. Not quite so much. Uh Uh, But you do use that contact list Mm -hmm. to contact our... your Rolodex of experts mm. when you want to talk about stuff. Uh, my friends and your acquaintances, yes. My friends and your acquaintances. <laughs> um, which is to set up today's show, mm-hmm. we are talking Women's World Cup, um, Italy, China, Netherlands, Japan later on. But first, we have an interview, Taylor Rockwell, talking to Felipe Cardenas mm-hmm. about Copa America 2019.
1: That is true. Yeah. Uh, the group stage is complete, so we look at the knockout round uh, matches, who maybe Felipe thinks will go through, or... Generally more so like who he thinks will do well in the games, yeah. what he expects for those. But we also begin by talking uh, El Tri, uh, what Ooh, they've done so the far Cup. in the Gold Cup. Copa de huh? The, uh, the 3-2 win over Martinique is where we begin, but we get into sort of Tata Martino's relationship with the media, the Mexican media, which do is Do you talk Raul Jimenez? We do. We do very briefly because Tata Martino has been talking about Raul Jimenez. Has he? Has he been yes. saying good things about him? Uh, yes, good things at a time when there have been some negative things said yeah. about him. So
0: I'm just going to put this out there. Best striker named Raul of all time. I think that's
1: probably not true. <laughs> it took me <laughs> a minute to like list the eight other strikers. So I think I'd probably go ahead of him. Um, but yeah, and then with the Copa America, we talk a little bit about who us. Do you Copa America. Yeah, I, t- I try, I try, I try to drop that A if I can. Uh, um, yeah, so we talk about knockout round. We talk a little bit about the group stage and kind of what's happened there. Yeah, um, and then also maybe just some some just general anecdotes from the tournament. So general far because anecdotes. All right, Felipe that is, uh, fun. is is reading all things connected to all things.
0: Do we need to establish Felipe's credentials, or do you think our listeners already know who Felipe is from his previous appearances?
1: I mean, if they don't, they should know that he uh, covers, I think currently is covering El Tri and Copa America and Atlanta United for The Athletic. What a beat. Uh, he's got a many great beats. He's got many hats. Many, many hats. <laughs> I would love that beat. I think all of which he is not encouraged to wear while covering those teams. Oh yeah, so there pre- you go. press box rules, mm-hmm. press box rules. Yes.
0: All right, so maybe enough from me and you, and more of you and Felipe.
1: With me, once again, I've got Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, thank you very much for taking the time. I know it's been a, a busy couple of weeks, so I appreciate it.
2: Anytime, Taylor. Anytime. Happy to be here.
1: So uh, we talked last time about Copa America, the first round of the group stage. We're going to talk a little bit about the knockout round, the teams that have made it, the teams that have not made it. But I wanted to start off with the Gold Cup because you've been covering El Tri so far. Uh, heads were turned when Mexico uh, Martinique finished 3-2. It sounds like that scoreline maybe doesn't tell the full story. Is that fair to say?
2: yeah i mean for sure i think even during the during the first half uh you know i sent a tweet saying you know the, this you know mexico is in complete control of this game despite the fact that uh martinique was was very well prepared you know the day before their their manager uh, mario Bocali, um was very transparent in in that he knew that it was one of their possibly their toughest game uh, i don't want to say ever but they they knew that the opponent that they were facing but they were very prepared tactically and he talked about that he talked about the work that the team was was uh, was putting in before that you know leading even leading up to that game even in the groups the other group matches uh the fact that in the first game they 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 were a bit tired you know they had just arrived to the to the, to the gold cup you know guys coming in kind of late. Uh, they played Canada, and then he wasn't you know satisfied with that result. They played much better, obviously against Cuba. Uh, and, and then against Canada, they they just looked really sharp tactically. They're very disciplined. Uh, they were they were dangerous when they got forward. Uh, they didn't get forward a lot, but when they did, uh, they earned some some fouls around the box. That's where you know that their that that free kick goal came through, and it was a, a spectacular free kick well taken. Um, and, and and so yeah, I think I think what the narrative that came out of that matchup was that you know a, a team like Mexico, a Concacaf you know king, struggled against a, a team from Martin mm-hmm. Martinique that isn't even you know recognized by FIFA has five five professionals on the roster, and when when those questions started to come in you know from the Mexican media Mexican press to Tata Martino. He immediately deflected that type of, of narrative, and he came into the press conference very agitated um, with his with his team's performance, and not the overall performance, but what he says what he said were you know defensive distractions. Um, and so, but he was quick to say that he was happy with the team with the way the team approached the match. It wasn't that they they took you know they they took a day off or they didn't you know respect the opponent uh, that it was a match that should have finished four five, one. And if you look at the stats, he's, he's correct. It would, they had over 70% of the possession, I think 25 total shots. Uh, it just wasn't going in. And so, yeah, I think they, they, to me, they, even though it was a, it was a close scoreline and, you know, he rotated the squad as well. Uh, they, they were really never in, in trouble. And, and I think that's the, the That is the story of the group stage for Mexico. They were really never in trouble in any match. they They were tested a bit you know against Canada, which I think everyone expected to get you know for Canada give them a bit of a of a, of a game in in Denver. Um, but overall, you know Mexico has has been cruising through this group stage, playing with a, a young team. You know, I think a lot of people were wondering what this team would look like without Carlos Vela, without Héctor Herrera, without Chicharito um and and they've been fine you know Tata has been able to rest players uh, even though he had a bit of a some injury scares early um he has a deep squad and and I think there are players that maybe were off the radar um that are starting to come up like Uriel Antuna a guy that plays for the Los Angeles Galaxy uh, on loan to the Galaxy from from Manchester City so I think you know that he has some talent but he's really you know embraced the competition and taken on his role very well
1: as always, Felipe, you anticipate questions well because I was, uh, my next question was about Oriel Antuna. Uh, he was, yeah. I, I believe, only included in the squad after an injury to Jorge Sanchez. Now he's lighting it up. What, how, what explains his ability to turn it on? Is it the competition in camp? Is it that maybe he's just been undervalued so far?
2: I think it's a little bit of, of both. And, and it, definitely the, the competition in camp. I think that is the most, imp- probably the more important piece. And, and Tata talked about it on two occasions uh during this group stage once once in denver when when he uh, essentially talked about the depth in his squad and the luxury that he has and that what what that becomes when you have injuries and you have opportunities for players that may not that maybe came into camp thinking you know I'm just I'm just here uh now there there's competition there's competition for playing time uh in key positions for instance the front three and the and the and the midfield three um and so Uriel Antuna is one of those guys that what Tata said when I asked him after after the the game against uh, Martinique, uh, he said he 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 looked at me. He's like, you're right. Like he was he was a French player. He was not considered uh, a first team, 23 man squad player before I named a squad. And yes, it's true that he's in the squad because of some injuries. But he, but what he saw, what he, what the staff has seen in Antuna in training is a guy that is just extremely hungry and that wasn't just happy to be, you know, on the Mexican national team for the first time. He's a guy that wants to be there that wants to play, uh, that trains very hard. And what Tata said is like when he showed up before camp, you know, we we had never seen him train. I mean, they were just watching films from the galaxy, and they liked what they saw. Um, back in May, when when Tata was here in Atlanta promoting their match against Venezuela, he brought him up as a player that he was going to consider. But they hadn't seen him up close, and so they were very impressed with his the way he approaches training, uh, the fact that the stage is just not very it's not big for him for for a young player to be playing for his national team in a in a continental tournament. So, so yeah, I think the a combination of just um, taking advantage of opportunities uh, that, that Tata, I think, told the players we're going to be there. Um, and then that, that, that increased competition within the camp. Um, because this is a squad that, you know, th- these guys are fighting for places for, and, you know, when they get to qualifying. This is a World Cup qualifying prep for, for Mexico for a lot of these players. Because once we get into, you know, CONCACAF qualifying, you know, the players that said no before they're going to be back in the squad, we expect, at least some of them. Um, and so that will that'll change things um, as far as how we rotate. Uh, a guy like Antuna, can he maintain? Can he stay within the starting lineup, especially when a guy like Rodolfo Pizarro uh, gets healthy again? So, so, yeah, but I think Antuna's an interesting story. He's, 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 you know, he's, lead, he's the, the team's leading scorer, um, and he's showing a lot of potential.
1: And you mentioned the uh, the Mexican press a while back. I wanted to ask about that because it does feel like, like, like at least to an outsider, that Mexico performing well. uh, What undefeated so far under Tata? Uh, In the past, it's felt like a bit of like uh, an acrimonious and negative relationship between the Mexican press and the manager. I don't know if that was specific to Juan Carlos Osorio. I'm wondering how Tata has been kind of perceived and covered uh, from your perception by the Mexican press so far
2: yeah that's a great question taylor because i've i've noticed I've, I've taken notice of that it's been i was very interested in 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 seeing that type of the dynamic between tata martino and and the mexican press you know throughout you know in the the the, the stay in denver and then again to, again in charlotte uh once again going back to may when he was here Uh, in Atlanta to promote that game against Venezuela, that that's, you know, I I started to see that this is a manager he's always been confident in front of the the media. Um, but to your point, yes, I think there was this, uh, this idea that the Mexican press is kind of like this this snake pit, uh, that can, that can eat up and, and, and spit out managers, uh, with ease. And, you know, I think what they're seeing in Tata Martino is a guy that just really knows how to manage. The the media and 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 he knows how to use the microphone, uh, both to his advantage, um, and and he's very just he's very prepared. He's always prepared, and so I think, you know, with Juan Carlos Osorio, it was interesting because it, it was always about his the rotation. It was that the the media the, the press knew that that was something that they could always kind of not go after, but it was it was always going to be a headline. Oh, Juan Carlos Osorio, rotated again. You know the famous rotaciones, mm-hmm. and 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 with Tata, I think there isn't this there isn't this one thing that they can point to, and and poke holes through quite yet. Uh, you know, before the Gold Cup, I felt like they were searching. The the Mexican press was sh- searching for those things. Like it started with the squad depth, the fact that he only called in twenty nine of a, of, a, of the possible forty, uh, the fact that there's only one number nine, and and Raúl Jiménez. And and before the Gold Cup started, they were really trying to poke holes in those decisions And he just, you know, he had an answer for everything. And, and I think what's what's happening is that now the team is performing and the results are coming through on the field. Um, and so that's why, again, in, in, in Charlotte against Martinique, he 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 was a little upset with the question about, you know, look at this, like you, you this is Mexico. You struggled against a team. Um, That isn't even recognized by FIFA. And he, you know, I think that's that I've I've noticed like the day after a lot, you know, Fox Sports Mexico, a lot of their pieces were about Mexico underperforming against a a very soft opponent. And he was he was adamant after that game and saying, like, that's not that's not the case. I don't agree with that question. I don't agree with that line of questioning. And so I think it'll, it'll be an interesting dynamic, but I think it's one that he he was prepared for. Um, I think you can, you can go back to his days in, in, in La Liga, uh, covering when he was at Barcelona. Those that, that the Spanish press is also very, very intense, very critical. Same with Argentina, and so I don't think this is anything that he's not accustomed to. Um, I do want to go to the
1: uh, Copa America in just a second, but first, one more question about um, Mexico. They've got Costa Rica in the knockout round. Maybe not necessarily a draw that they were expecting, uh, but here we are. W- what are you expecting for that knockout round game? Is it going to be a little bit of rotation? Do you think it's going to be the strongest possible team? And how big of a threat do you think Costa Rica will be to that Mexico squad?
2: Yeah, I think it's, you know, Tata will go with his strongest possible team. I think now he'll start to. Even though he he talked a lot about in the group stage, about Mexico, uh, you know, playing inferior opponents and how that can be a detriment to their you know World Cup preparation and the, and just like their long term project, uh, you know he he was he was you know he, he respects he was sure to say that he that all opponents are respected and that he was, he knew that down the road they were going to start to play teams like Costa Rica, Panama. Uh, and, and obviously potentially the U.S., that are teams that are considered very strong within CONCACAF. So I think now he, he they're going to get that. And I would expect the strongest line possible. I think those, those players that I've mentioned before, like Rodolfo Pizarro, um, even Hector Moreno, their center back, these are guys that have been nursing injuries and that the st- the technical staff is not, rush back into these games knowing that, you know, they were easily qualified and that they were going to need them down the road. So I think we'll start to see those guys, you know, back in the starting lineup, we'll see a strong starting lineup um, for for Mexico. And then, yeah, I think they're facing, it's an old rival in Costa Rica, but I think with Costa Rica, you know, they're, they're in, in, on the opposite side of the spectrum uh, as far as where development is and where this, this roster is when you compare them to Mexico, Mexico has, Listen, they're playing with essentially a second team in a tournament um, and, and they're dominating. Uh, Costa Rica, a new manager um, that, that has experience um, managing in Liga MX, won, I think, two back-to-back titles with León. And these were teams that were heralded in, in Mexico as being attack-minded and, and exciting. And, and the problem he's having with Costa Rica is that this, the, the process of kind of rejuvenating the squad, it's an old squad. You know, Mm -hmm. it's an old squad hasn't, hasn't come about yet. Like if you look at the the roster that's still somewhat heavily dominated with, with the old guard uh, and some of the younger players just have not been able to to perform. And so they've struggled and, and just kind of quickly reading Costa Rican press this morning uh, that was the issue that this is a team that is not advancing. It's not progressing. uh, And, and they're starting to fall behind in, in a CONCACAF region that, uh, you know, you, if, it shouldn't be difficult to, to come out of this region if you're one of those, you know, that, that top three of U.S., Mexico, and Costa Rica. So I don't think Mexico is expecting to play Costa Rica, but it could help them. You know, if if, if Tata wants stiffer competition um, and, and, and for his young players to be locked in uh, earlier, then I think this, this helps Mexico. For Costa Rica, you know, they're not, you know, they might see themselves as, okay, like we're not the favorites here. Um, but they still have good players. You know, they, they I think they're when they see Mexico in front of them, they're not intimidated by by the shirt, by the jersey, by the crest or the flag. And so I think it, it really does become uh, a, a somewhat even match just because it is a knockout, you know, a knockout stage uh, you know, of the tournament.
1: All right. Well, uh, for anybody wondering why we love having Felipe on, it's because he says things like, I was reading the Costa Rican press earlier this morning. I can't say that I've, uh, I've ever done that. So well done to you, my friend. Uh, that's the gold cup. Uh, in Copa América knockout round, we've got, uh, Brazil v Paraguay, uh, Colombia, Chile, Argentina, Venezuela, and Uruguay, Peru, uh, in the quarterfinals. What are you expecting from those games? Uh, there's four there. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you've got, uh, a decent amount to talk about.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, this is what we expected, right? It's, it's now we're in the knockout stage. It's, you know, none of the invited teams made it through. So if you're a traditionalist like me, I have no, I have no issues admitting that, like, I love to see, you know, a Copa America knockout stage with South American teams. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I think the biggest, not the biggest story, but an interesting part of Copa America 2019, you know, it's always that third place, uh, team that gets that qualifies and so paraguay look at paraguay they they haven't won a match yet you know they didn't win they have two ties and a draw and they were able to advance and so i guess the reward for for lackluster play uh and not winning is playing the host nation and so but at the same time it's they must be i'm sure when when the when the matches ended yesterday uh and they and they saw that that both you know that that Ecuador and Japan tied, and it kind of allowed them to to be one of the best thirds. They were probably looking at it as we're you know we're still alive. It's another opportunity, and 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 they'll face the host nation and 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 try to advance. But I don't see Brazil having any much much trouble there. I think Brazil find their found their groove. Uh we, we spoke last week about Tite and, and, and what he what he's doing with that team without Neymar and I think he found kind of the the creative and attacking formula. You know, I was I was concerned not concerned, but I, I questioned why he had Casemiro and Fernandinho in that starting lineup against Bolivia um when when they should have just walked over Bolivia and instead he had two defensive midfielders there uh which, which just limited their creativity, which we saw especially in the first half of that game. And so since then he's you know, Fernandino has gone to the bench. He's stuck with just one defensive uh midfielder in Casemiro and he's brought in Barcelona's Artur who I think if you've seen him play, you know he's just, you know, he's quality. He can he can create, he can possess, he can you know, he I I've seen comparison to comparisons to Iniesta. I'm not gonna go that far, but I can see why he's that type of player that can kind of do a little bit uh, of everything in, in in a midfield three. And so Brazil is is looking very good. And then I think if you go down against the kind of the bottom of, of the other bracket where you have Uruguay and Peru, again, Peru just got thrashed five mil and they're still in, you know, mm-hmm. because of that, you know, the first win, but it's like they kind of backed into the knockout round after a, an embarrassing defeat, you know, five mil to Brazil And so, and and now they have to face, their reward is to face a team like Uruguay uh, that is expected, you know, to be in the final. And so those, for Paraguay and Peru, who I feel are kind of the two teams that have struggled the most, uh, even though Uruguay looked, or Peru looked okay, you know, in in, in some of their matches, uh, they're going to have a tough time. I think they got, you know, a tough draw. Um, And and Uruguay, I'll say this quickly about Uruguay. Yesterday, I think, was just a classic, Game that it's what they do to opponents. You know, even though it's Chile completely rotated, and 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 I'll drop this one again. I was reading the Chilean press. <laughs> I was reading the Chilean <laughs> press today because I wanted to see what they had to say. They they were I, you know he Rinaldo Ren- Raya, the Colombian manager, rotated. You know, rested starters, uh, even changed a bit of the formation. And I was seeing on Twitter that some you know some people that are in Chile covering the team were concerned about that. Uh, you know why experiment at the, the, at this late stage? But you know he was very open about it after the game. He's like, I need I needed to rest players. Uh, we had a plan, uh, and they were preparing for the knockout stage. And I think in the in the first half they looked really, you know, on the front foot. They had Uruguay, uh, you know, in their own box. They were attacking. It looked like kind of like a three-three. It was a kind of a strange formation, like three in the back, three in the middle, and then just kind of like a stacked attack. Um, and, and they were doing a little bit, I wouldn't say they were doing damage, but they had a lot of the ball. But I think the problem when you do that with a team like Uruguay, if you have a lot of the ball, you need to be effective and they just weren't effective. And so a team like Uruguay is okay, you know, defending and, and kind of, you know, just being a nuisance because they know that in the 85th minute, they have guys like Cavani and Suarez that can just, you know, put you to bed after you've done 85 minutes of excellent work. And so it, for me, it was like a, a typical game from from Uruguay, and and they'll they'll continue to advance.
1: Um, stick with Uruguay for a second. Uh, I saw the clips during the round of uh, Luis Suarez calling for a handball off of the goalkeeper. What what happened there? Am I am I like seeing an edited version of this, or was he actually thinking maybe the goalkeeper handled the ball?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's like classic Luis Suarez. That's just always kind of looking for, uh, you know, he's he. It's part of the history, right? <laughs> like the handball in the World Cup, yep. uh, you know, the biting, uh the, the theatrics. It's just what he does. You know, he he's a top 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 striker, but it's just part of his game. You know, some of my friends in my in Colombia that we you know, I have a WhatsApp at uh converse at groups, group chat with some from friends in Colombia and one guy was like, you know, this is so typical of Uruguay, you know, and in the VAR the VAR world that we're in, this doesn't set up very good for for their opponents, where you know they're they're very skilled at kind of trying to manipulate you know the the referee and. And just the rules of the game. And, and, and again, I think all South American countries, you could you could kind of say that about when it gets into these, you know, these intense ty- types of tournaments. But Uruguay and Suarez especially, I feel like they're just really good at that, the gamesmanship. And so, no, it was, I've watched the video several times. He tried to call a handball on a goalkeeper inside the penalty area. Um, and, uh, and what was funny is that he also, he also tried to get, uh, uh, the Chilean defender Ch- 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 Hada yeah. ejected or, or carded for tripping the, the pitch invader. Yep. Um, and so it's like Suarez is just like, just such a character. And so, um, yeah, I think even though th- those, those are kind of fun parts of, of, of what's happening with Copa America 2019, it's part of the DNA of Uruguay mm-hmm. as well. Yeah,
1: uh, to as like further emphasis on that one, Daryl was telling me yesterday the story that Falcao was telling about the first time he played Jimenez, and how have you yeah. heard that story? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a decent chance you can tell it better than I can. W- w- would you mind kind of talking our listeners through it if they haven't heard it?
2: Yeah. Well, here's what's funny about that story is because um, it, the, what I've read from from I guess sources or or just outlets that i trust is that mm-hmm. it started with one part of the story is true the other part is parody ah, so okay. the first part of the story where jimenez said yes like it was the first one of his first starts for for uruguay and he was facing falcao and this was this was the best number nine in the world falcao okay so this is when falcao was at his very best and Jimenez was, uh, was somewhat starstruck with him, and so what what I understand as being true is that yeah he 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 asked him like randomly like what car he drives, um mm-hmm. uh, you know Jimenez asked like, what kind of car do you drive and kind of just like tried to small talk him. Uh, throughout the game, that was the one. That was the question that Falcao confirmed. Like, yeah, this guy's asking me, like, what kind of car drive? It was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, bizarre. Um, and and then a parody account or a parody newspaper. I think I don't know if it was in Spain. Kind of took that and then created this, you know, this this story about how he man has asked him everything from you know, well, you, you probably know better than me. Like what was, was there's like a, no how, many, how many, how many
1: peas are in September? I think was one of them. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. How many teas are in September? Like how many days are in June? Like, <laughs> and it just kind of like carried on from there. And, and even Marca, Marca, one of the biggest, you know, kind of media outlets in Spain grabbed onto that. And, and, and I saw later that, that, that those, the, the additional questions were part of like kind of a, a parody, but, um, but the first part is true. That, yeah, right. and, is, and that's, again, I think that is to your point, Yes, that is part of the Uruguayan gamesmanship. they will do anything to kind of get in your head and, and gain an advantage.
1: I, I like it, e- even if even if it was like started off. That does feel like a constructed narrative of like starts off starstruck. You're just like, I want to ask you so many questions, and it ends with like, yes, I totally meant to distract him with all my questioning. It was totally uh, totally goes to plan. Um, so we'll see what happens for uh, Uruguay against Peru. Uh, we we should probably talk before I let you go about uh, Argentina, Venezuela, Colombia, Chile. Uh, Argentina, Venezuela, Venezuela uh, held Brazil scoreless, although I think that was a little bit uh, controversial as well. Argentina struggled early. They've made it. Through uh, so, what are you expecting from this one? Have Argentina started to turn it around, or do you think we we might be seeing
2: uh, a pretty big upset here? Well, I think Argentina, were, we're out what I'm seeing is now there's they they have made some tactical changes. So against Colombia, they they essentially came out in a four four two with those with two like holding midfielders in Guido Rodriguez and, and Leandro Paredes, and it wasn't very effective. I think we talked about that last week and and how they just they, they were there was a lack of of they just weren't cohesive at all, you know, in the midfield, and, and Colombia really took advantage of of their confusion. And so Scaloni, Lionel Scaloni, their their managers changed to a four-three-three against Paraguay. Um, it, well, I guess it was more of a of a of an attacking four-four-two, but he took out Guido uh, Rodriguez. He left Paredes as the lone kind of holding midfielder. Um, took off Aguero, brought in Martínez. But I think the, for me, the key there was that he didn't have two like, really defensive midfielders that weren't able to create. So I think from game to game, um, he's been trying to find the right attacking formula. And even against Qatar, then finally he did go to a very typical and standard 4-3-3 with Paredes as the low and holding midfielder. Uh Lo Celso w- w- was kind of out wide. De Paul, who has come on and, and essentially replaced Di, Mar- Di Maria, um, was pretty effective as well. And then, you know, he went with a, a new front three of Messi, Martinez, Lautaro Martinez from Inter Milan, and, and Aguero. And it, you know, even though they it was a two nil um, result for them against Qatar, uh, I think they're still uh, they're still very individualistic. You know, they're they're, they're relying on, on 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 some mistakes from from their opponents. Um, and some just great individual play from from their star star, star players. I mean, Agüero's goal was just kind of an unassisted golazo, where he just kind of took on the entire defense and, and finished pretty casually. Um, but you know, I think now they're facing the Venezuela side that they recently lost to in a friendly in, in Madrid. Uh, I don't have the data exact, but I'm pretty sure that they have not beaten Venezuela in their last think, four matchups. Um, and so this is, you know, that that tells that says a lot about Venezuela as well, like their new generation that that, that is coming off a U-20 final loss to England, um, uh, I, I think like two years ago in, in the U-20 World Cup, um, a manager that has come up from the U-20 ranks that coaches both the U-20s and the senior men's national team in Rafael Dudamel, so he understands you know, the, the 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 roster that he has in front of them, the strengths. Um and, and he's trying to change, you know, the way that opponents prepare for Venezuela. Like I said before, I think Venezuela still is slightly too conservative. Um, and I think they'll look like that against Argentina. They'll put it'll look like, again like a five-four-one, which one which Dudamel is somewhat married to. Uh, I don't think we'll see Joseph Martinez until maybe in the, in the second half because he really does stick with Salvador, um, Salomon Rondon as their lone striker. And he'll just try to, 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 to hassle um, Argentina and keep that score as tight as possible.
1: All right. And then final question. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, but Colombia, Chile, I'm going to guess you, you're pretty excited about this one. Chile finished uh, second in their group on six points. Uh, Colombia, only team, I think, to win all three games. Uh, I, I've seen some reporting that, like, but they haven't been as impressive or they've been sort of like dull at times. Then I've seen other reporting that says they are far and away the best team of the tournament right now. I'm guessing you're sort of on the side of best team of the tournament. Uh, so what, what are you, like, what are your thoughts on Colombia now? Are you still enjoying? Uh, life under Carlos Kirush, and then what are you expecting for this game?
2: Yeah, I think they've been the, the the most consistent team of the tournament. I wouldn't say they're the best team, but like just numbers wise, yeah, nine points out of three games, no goals conceded, uh, and they were able to play a, their their second team against Paraguay in uh, in the final group stage match. And even though it was a one 0 victory, it seems kind of tight. Like there was there were spells where they just completely dominated Paraguay. White uh, could not touch the ball, uh, and, they, and and Colombia looked very confident. So I think that's what what I like, and what I think even a, a neutral would see from a Colombia from this Colombian team that they look very confident. They have a deep squad, um, and. Carlos Carros like we said last week you know he he's he's pushing the team a little bit more forward they're a bit, bit more vertical than they were under Peckerman uh in the last World Cup and so they're d- definitely still a favorite um but this is the Copa America and this is and Chile is the defending champion and so and Chile is, is a good team and so uh, you know I was telling a a, a journalist in in, in Char- Charlotte uh, a couple of days ago he asked me about Colombia and I'm like you know I, I don't get too high because you know at the end I'll say something like well they'll, they'll probably lose to Chile this is before the these, the knockoff stage was set, and so now they're facing Chile who knocked them to, you know eliminated Colombia from the, the Copa America in 2016 here in the u s uh, and went on to win it. They have a Colombian manager who understands you know I mean even though he said yesterday in some of those reports that his familiarity with the squad really means nothing, uh, I think it, it sets up for a very a, a juicy matchup, you know uh, one that should be plenty you know attack minded from both teams. Um, and, and one that I still feel like Colombia just has a little bit more. I think defensively they're just very solid. You know, they their their center backs can can eat up a lot of you know of a team like Chile just decides to lump the ball forward and kind of bypass midfield, which that's Colombia's strength. Uh, I'm pretty confident that Colombia's center backs can can take care of that.
1: All right. Well, those games are all happening like near the end of the week this weekend. Mexico playing Costa Rica, I believe, this weekend as well. So maybe we can get you back on next week to uh, give us an update on everything we've talked about today, if that works for you. Let's do it, yeah. Happy Uh, to. All right. Excellent. Well, Felipe, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know you've got a a lot to get to today, so I don't want to take up any more, but I just wanted to say thank you once again.
2: All right, man. Take it easy.
0: So that was Taylor talking to Felipe Cardenas. Uh, More from Felipe, as Taylor said, as the Copa America progresses. Mm -hmm. Knockout rounds, baby. Yep, yep. Knockout rounds. Yep. yep. Um, We're going to talk Women's World Cup, Italy, China, Netherlands, Japan. But first, today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by fbref fbref.com you can get all kinds of soccer stats there including we focus on the women's world cup stats mm-hmm. right and we're going to do that today but there's a whole world of other stats out there as this well is correct yeah. yes yes I Men, was, they got men's soccer stats as well
1: i was slightly nervous that you were going to spring one on me by going to like a completely other competition that i was not paying attention to all yeah, yeah. stats from there <laughs> um, you
0: played the most minutes in the EFL Cup last year
1: oh boy uh, I don't know the somebody answer whose name I don't know I haven't looked it up alright well, you good. could
0: look it up on
1: com, I believe a Man City Reserve player that's my <laughs> answer uh, no but we they also have maybe like more uh, pertinent stats to our conversation today or yeah. to any conversation about the Women's World Cup for example uh, Daryl Grove do you know which uh, goalkeeper has the most clean sheets in
0: this tournament um, it was the German goalkeeper whose name escapes me
1: is that your answer? Yes. You are correct. Yeah. It is the German goalkeeper. Alma Sch- uh, Schultz yes. has four. And, Germany and have not conceded a goal yet in this tournament.
0: She's tried giving the ball away to opponents a she couple has. of times. But yes. But yeah. yeah. I think that's more about Germany than it is about Schultz. Hey. Hey.
1: You don't know these things. Uh-huh. But, yeah, you might be right. Uh-huh. Uh, Alyssa Nair uh, has three, and then there are many, many other goalkeepers who have two uh, clean sheets thus far in the tournament.
0: Okay. I have a couple of stats for you from USA versus Spain. I've All gone right. back and looked at the game page uh, you know, for that USA versus Spain game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: U.S. passing accuracy, what would you guess that it was?
1: not as good as it probably should have been but still higher than you'd expect like
0: 87%. 76%. What? Wow, that's low. It it's low, but when you think how many big direct balls there were, oh, it's not yeah. bad, right? right. I right. feel like there's a lot of you got to mm-hmm. put these stats in context. So I think you can look at that and think, oh, the US is bad at passing, but you think of so many direct passes, it's not so bad. That's the, uh, that's that's I see. I think that's pretty bad because I you remember
1: do. I remember there were times when we we used to do that on our specific predictions, like uh, passing completion percentage yeah. stats, and it was always higher than you thought, even when you thought the player had a bad game, because there are so many short, quick passes. Mm-hmm. To me, that says they were far more long balls than I kind of remember that did not come off
0: in that game. Can you guess how many saves were made in this game? Uh, zero. Zero. Mm-hmm. Yep, zero. The shots on target were one for Spain. Yep. Two for the U.S. Mm-hmm. on the penalty kicks. Yep. Yeah. Zero
1: saves. Yeah, I can't really fault either goalkeeper for either of those uh, statistics. Uh-uh. Well, maybe you can fault Alyssa Naira a little bit for that one.
0: <laughs> it's more about not enough shots on target, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is maybe like, if you want to blame, you can say Megan Rapinoe, Rose Lavelle, putting their shots wide or over the bar. But they were close, just not quite on target. Tim so Heath not shooting, I think, also probably yeah. didn't help. Yeah. She had one go. Didn't she try and like crossed slash shoot one but it, it ended it wide she tried to sort of repeat the trick that she pulled off against Sweden didn't work out the second time for our thoughts on uh, for our thoughts on USA Spain you can go back
1: and listen yeah. to that one 50 minutes of them yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been nothing but positive comments and response
0: yeah, weirdly right people seem very negative about a 2-1 win in a World Cup round of 16 there you go. I love Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, FBREF.com. Um, no, no one gets at you on FBREF.com. It's a no. very friendly place. Yeah. It's got all the stats. It's also got the newsletter, the Stata newsletter. You can sign up for that when you click the link in the nav bar. There we are. So thanks thanks thank you, you very much to FBREF for sponsoring today's episode. <laughs> I did it first. I did it first. You sure did, buddy. <laughs> You're the most politest. <laughs> you can tell by the way
1: I beat you to it and then yelled, I did it first ever, time, that I'm the most polite. <laughs> Yeah,
0: shall we talk um, Italy, China? The first round of sixteen game of today. You know, dear, if that's what you want to do,
1: because I'm the most polite, I yeah. want to do what you want to do. Right. So yes, let's do that. We also pre-agreed that this would be the first. Game that, yes. we talk about.
0: <laughs> so this game finished Italy to China mm-hmm. nil uh, goals from Giacinti, Giacinti or Giacinti? Uh wh- whatever you want. Okay, no, I I'm mean, one polite. of them is correct and one of them is not. <laughs> I know, I just don't want to go out on the limb. Goals from Giacinti yeah. and Galli. Uh-huh. Uh, 2 0 to Italy. Um, I want to talk about both of the goals. Sure. One's maybe prettier than the other. Yes. Um, I also want to talk about. Italy's weird tactical change halfway through the first half. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which which would you like to start with?
0: Uh, Let's go with the tactics. So Italy starts in what's become their standard 4-3-1-2 where you have Giurelli as the number 10 underneath two strikers. But then one of the strikers is Bonansia who kind of roams around on the left a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. It's an oddly sort of flexible uh, attacking situation from, from Italy, right. right? But then, I actually, I can't remember the thirty 39th minute, minute. 39th minute, Italy sub out Giurelli mm-hmm. and replace her with Gali, who's more of a sort of energetic mm-hmm. uh, box-to-box midfielder, switch it up to a straight four three three. So before we start to talk about the tactics... Why was Rally so out?
1: So the reporting at the time, and I believe since, so it's been consistent, has been that it was uh, related to the heat. Okay, uh, I, I guess very heat where the game was being, very hot where the
0: game was being played. I mean, it was sixty-nine degrees in my in my apartment.
1: Well, yeah. See, there you go. They yeah. should have played it there. They should but have. It, but I think it's also, uh, as was pointed out in the game, I think that Italy thus far have only used thirteen, or I think fourteen players uh, so far in the competition. Mm. So I think there was an argument of. Like maybe not as much rest as they would have liked, at least combined with the heat, combined with not much rotation, yeah. meant that there was a, like a fatigue issue for Jarelli. But I also so,
0: is it heat exhaustion, but it's actually heat plus exhaustion.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but but I also think it was sort of maybe a change brought about by Jarelli looking tired, struggling, especially like in the minutes before she subbed off. Uh, there's like the gamma, like maybe she it was a high kick, but it doesn't end up being given. It's but her not clearance high off of that is bad when
0: you've got long legs nope. and the player. You're stooping down. You will get no That's my defensive karma. Right?
1: But I, I bring that up only to say that then, like, after that, when you want the ball kind of authoritatively cleared, I think Julie, oh, yes. because she's so tired, just kind of hacks at it and barely
0: makes contact. I guess when one of your most talented players, she's a technically mm-hmm. very good player, as she has great technique. She's yeah. a number 10. She literally wears number 10. If she can't even clear a, a, an easy soccer ball, mm-hmm. There's trouble there, right? There,
1: there definitely is. And I think also Italy looked kind of so dominant and up for it and caused China so many problems in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, I think they scored in the 15th minute, yeah. right? We'll talk about that. And I think a big part of it was the kind of level of energy they were putting into that, kind of the pressure, the, de- the defense they were playing. And I think if you're Giurelli, it's I equate it with like if you play a, a player in FIFA too many times and then like they start the game with like a yellow bar instead yeah, yeah, of yeah. the green bar, they drop really fast. Yes, and red I, real fast. And I think that's what happened here. I think it also coincides with China starting to kind of Get back into the game, getting a bit more of the ball, getting a few more chances, and I think the the decision was made even before halftime to we got to change this up to make yeah. sure that we kind of get to halftime with this lead.
0: And I think if you're um, the Italy coach, I think uh, maybe part of the, Berlini, the, part of the having only playing 14 players mm-hmm. is. There aren't many players as good, good enough to replace the players, right? Mm -hmm. There's not another Mm Bonancia. There's not another Jurelli. So um, my guess is if they're taking out this sort of, it's like a free roll number 10, right? Four, three, one, two. She's the one and she can kind of do whatever she wants. Um, If you don't have another player of that quality, you're not going to go and ask them to play that role because you don't get the same results out of it, right? Right. So the switch is to go to uh, Gali, who's more energetic and a straight up, simpler 4 3 right? Yeah. It has a bit more structure to it, and everybody's working hard. No one has a free roll. It really does. You're
1: absolutely right, though. It does speak to, like, the, the, the difference Lack in quality. Depth. Yeah, that, like... I'd rather go with a player who's 60% fit, I guess, than somebody else who maybe hasn't played that position and might not be up to it in the knockout yeah. round. You kind of can't roll the dice, even if that means that you have to burn a substitute before halftime.
0: Yep. I mean, no one got burned, no, to be clear. That's true. The heat exhaustion wasn't that bad. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, they switched to the 4 3 mm-hmm. But let's talk about the goal first. Jacinti sure. uh, scores in the 15th. Mm-hmm. A lot of. Passes by Italy that weren't completed, but were then deflected back into Italian paths. Is how I am going to describe this goal.
1: Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's a very fortuitous goal from Italy. Kind of. Now is, there right? is the element of like you make your own luck a little bit, and yeah. you kind of keep battling, keep battling, keep battling, and maybe eventually something comes off. But I think it was also China being caught caught out by a couple bad plays that yeah. leads to a counterattack That then they're kind of trying to like put out fires where they can. Uh, continue with the fire analogy, yeah, yeah. and oh, it yes. ends up you were uh, in the heat today. Apparently, I was.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you could describe. So if you're going to be more charitable, you describe it as a counter attack and then a press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair because uh, Giuliani tries to launch uh, Giuliano, mm-hmm. excuse me, not the former York, um, tries to launch a counter attack with a really nice looking ball. It's charitable of you to give him that title. But yeah, cool. I'm, I'm uh-huh. feeling generous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fox News hack <laughs> Giuliani.
1: Um, <laughs> I would have gone lunatic, but sure, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: with a ball like she splits the lines right down the right, yeah. and she is looking for Giacinti down mm-hmm. the right. But it's cut out. It is, I mean, technically intercepted because the defender, I've forgotten who the defender is. Uh, I think it might be, it's one of the centre-backs because both the centre-backs are over there. Yeah. Briefly has possession Lin. of the I ball.
1: I think Lin slides over, collects the ball and then tries to play it back down the line, but plays it into Giacinti's foot instead. Yeah. And that basically, Giacinti then plays herself inadvertently yeah, into yeah. a counter-attack because now she's wide open in space. She releases the
0: herself down the right wing, Pretty range, much, right? yes. yeah. um, So China scrambling, yep. obviously China scrambling. Cut it back to Bonacia, mm-hmm. top of the box. Maybe your most talented player, definitely the most famous player on the Italy team. Balsano makes an absolute mess of this. Yep. Is that fair? Yeah, like stumbles over the ball. Like I think she's trying to do like a top of the f- top of the ball roll, like a sole of the foot roll, but kind of messes it up.
1: Yes, I think so. If I were being charitable, I would say that a few different times in this tournament, it does feel like the water, the the, gra- the fields haven't been watered enough. Mm-hmm. That and when it's hot, when there's not enough water, the grass. Not really get sticky, but that's the best way to explain it. The ball doesn't move as quickly, and this did yeah. feel like one of those situations when she expected the ball to move a little bit faster, and it didn't. So that yeah. it got caught under her feet as a result.
0: And then she's trying to play a pass to Bartoli, the yep. left back, who has made a long-busting overlapping run. Right? She has got all the way up there because the right back for China Han is out of position mm-hmm. because of the counter attack. So great stuff uh, from uh, Bartoli to get yep. all the way up. And again, Bansia messes up the pass, mm-hmm. but it deflects off a Chinese defender. Yep into the path of Bartoli. Italy just keep getting lucky.
1: They do. Uh, And sort of that continues here because Bartoli is... I, it's like tough to say if like the shot it happens at the same time that she's taken out, but Peng, uh, Peng Ximeng comes out, she tries to make a play, yeah. and there was some argument that maybe even if this goal doesn't end up being scored that maybe it gets brought back for a penalty because she comes up pretty recklessly, recklessly, yeah. but it ends up falling uh, to Jacinti anyway, and she's able... I mean, it doesn't necessarily fall to her. She has to cover a little bit of ground. Yeah, I she's mean, she's coming from the right home. wing to mm-hmm. the center, right? Yeah. She
0: deserves the goal, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and Italy kind of deserves the goal. No, I think they do.
1: I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, again, you kind of force things to happen and then China panic a little bit and keep panicking, and then eventually you find a way to score. Uh, I do think, though, that then Italy sort of had the more traditional mindset of, okay, we're 1-0 up now. China, we're maybe going to be a little bit more defensive. They're maybe going to just try to keep their lines and frustrate and look for the counter. Now they have to come at us, so now we can back off a little bit and try to catch them in a counterattack and catch them being a bit open. And I think this is a case where maybe the fatigue factors into it, but it's also a case that once you take your foot off the gas a little bit to invite that pressure, well, that pressure comes, and then you've got to be able to deal with it. And I think Italy kind of got hit a little bit here and started to struggle, and that's why I think they also make the change near the end of the first half we've already talked about. But then I think at halftime, they kind of – reassert their plan to come out and be aggressive from the kickoff, yeah. because I, they score pretty quickly after and halftime.
0: They do, and am I, am I right in thinking that when they score after halftime, it's from a bit of a press?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. from going after China, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, uh, Galli eventually scores, but it's a shot from distance, but it comes about, yeah, because it's Italy kind of, again, making China uncomfortable, putting yeah. them in pressure in their own defensive third, eventually in their own defensive third in the corner, yeah. and they try to basically oh, Lu, play it out. Right? Yeah.
0: Liu, right? Liu is trying to sort of play a pass out, but she is swarmed by yeah. Italians, and the pass is picked up by the Italian right-back Guani yeah. uh, steps and wins it, mm. gives it to Gali... And then Gali hits that shock. Yeah. Gali Gosh, as I, I think <laughs> tweeted, and was it was not a welcome tweet. <laughs>
1: you, you knew it was not going to be, but you went for it anyway. I but I want to say, like, like Yi, she absolutely steps and wins that ball. I I think the ball is intended for Wang Shanshan, I think. Yeah. It's tough to see from she the replay. Um, but just, like, that right there is the fi- uh, uh sequence that I don't think happened at the end of the first half, would have happened in the first half. I think Yi would have been sitting off a little bit more, trying to be a little bit more conservative, and then China would have been able to play out of that press from Italy, and I think did... Uh, on occasion, especially at the end of the first half, find ways to get out of the press because it wasn't quite as determined. Yeah. Here, when Italy refocus, they win the ball back, a quick little pass, and you've got the lead. Yep. Or you've got your
0: second goal, rather. There's no exit. Mm-mm. No exit. Um, so can we talk about this golly strike just sure. for um, a second? Doesn't have much bend or spin on it. It's kind of just from distance, arrowed into the bottom mm-hmm. corner. And I think you made the comparison. Like It's almost like... The Rapinoe penalties that we yeah. talked about yesterday, but just from distance. Yeah, pick your sparta and laser it in. Sniper. There. That's what I mean. Sniper. Yeah. Go, yeah. For that.
1: go for that corner. Go low because if nothing else, you'll make the keeper have to make a decision about. Oh, maybe it's going wide, but I still got to put a hand to it. So, like, worst case scenario is maybe you're you're getting a corner out of it. Yeah, and then best case scenario, you're scoring the second goal and giving your team a cushion.
0: Italy to China nil is the final score. Mm-hmm. Italy through to the quarterfinals, where they will face. Correct me if I'm wrong. They'll face the Netherlands. You are correct. Which means. Either Italy or the Netherlands mm-hmm. will be in the World Cup semi finals? Yes. This kind of blows my mind. Am I alone in this? No. I, I don't think so. Wouldn't have, you wouldn't have bet on either of these teams. you bet them to do well, but you wouldn't have bet on them to make the semis at the start of this tournament. Which
1: also guarantees them, I believe, a spot in uh, the Olympics because I believe the top three... One Europe, of them, yeah. I think the top three teams uh, from Europe... Yeah. All will qualify. So the three European teams who will make the semifinals will be going to the Olympics. So well there you're you go. assuming
0: that the US makes the semifinals. There could be four European teams make yeah. the semifinals. Yeah, you're right. I didn't yeah. think about that. Oh, third, well, actually this could be looking oh, at yeah. this could be the first time where th- is there a third place playoff game in this tournament? I'm not sure. I'm gonna guess that there is. There may have to be. Where it could actually have something on the line other than some weird bronze medal. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I Olympic totally...
1: qualification on the line. Shoot. Man, I was so excited for one of these teams to get to go to the Olympics. All right, now the USA needs to definitely win against France.
0: <laughs> it sure does. Yes. All right, that game is on Friday. We'll talk about that as we get closer. Today's other Round of 16 game mm-hmm. was the Netherlands, the aforementioned Netherlands. I guess, spoiler alert, I've already said they're in the quarters. Yep. <laughs> they beat Japan 2-1, mm-hmm. but it was a close thing. It really it was. It really was a close thing. Japan had a weird tactical setup that I want to talk about. Maybe. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, this, I just want to say up front, this was a very strange game to me. Because awesome. like, the, for the first... 30 minutes or so, I I thought this game was going to finish like 3-0 to, to the Netherlands. Yeah. And in the 80th minute, I was sure that Japan were going to find <laughs> a way to win because they had so many chances in like a, a like a 10-minute period near the end of the game that yeah. I thought, okay, they found their gear, they're going to end up pulling it off, and then it ends up in a 90th minute penalty. Uh, yeah, it was a dramatic game that I did not quite expect uh, to happen the way it did.
0: Let's be thankful that there were no casinos here in Virginia, so yeah. you couldn't have gone and put money on any of your lunches. Yes, no, which, it's been well established that, be that I should wrong. never bet on any of my hunches <laughs> um, so why did Japan uh, go with this weird tactical setup that I was talking about where they essentially had I would call it a four-four-two mm-hmm. defensive shape to face up to the Netherlands that was nice and compact very tight lines but was high right it was quite yeah. high up the field when you know that van der Sanden Shanice van der Sanden and Leek Martens both love to get in behind it, and that's the Netherlands whole game plan yeah why would you open that up I think
1: that they and why did it nearly work he, I have two guesses for this. Okay. I think one is that I think they kind of set their line at the wrong point. I think they, okay. and I think that is what starts to cause the, the Dutch problems, especially in the second half. Is Japan keep the rough, roughly the same shape, but they drop about ten yards deeper, pretty consistently. So there isn't so much space in behind.
0: So the shape was right, yeah. and having the compact four mm-hmm. four two like tight defensive lines, tight defensive yeah. midfield forward lines, tight together was mm-hmm. right. But just being too high up the field is just some weird mistake that they made. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes about. Speaking because... of weird mistakes. We'll talk about Netherlands first,
1: goal We certainly will, um, but I think because the other idea is that if you can get that line a little bit higher up, maybe in those in the four four two, the two banks of four with the two in front, yeah. it makes it really hard for the Dutch to find passes through the midfield and from yeah. their defense into the midfield.
0: So it's about stopping like Danielle van der van der Dunk yeah. getting the ball um, literally between the lines between yeah. the midfield and defense. Line. If you squeeze that tight together, there's no room for her to do it right? exactly. Yeah. And,
1: and I think, but in the beginning, I think Japan's line was a little too high, and I think also they were a little bit too eager when. And it did seem like there was an opportunity to go put some of the Dutch players under pressure. Yeah. So then it would get a little bit stretched. There would be space. Uh, the Dutch could play through it and then when Japan would try to like close the lines now you've opened up more space in behind and then yeah. the Dutch were finding that, uh, the gap.
0: So this kind of explains the Netherlands' first goal, yeah. right? So uh, it comes from a corner kick but the corner kick is won by um, a ball from Bloodworth the mm-hmm. centre back is like chipped out wide left to the number 10 mm-hmm. van der Dank and I think it's really telling that van der Dank couldn't find space in the middle yeah. so she had to go all the way to the wing so th- in that way the Japan plan is working mm-hmm. but then because the line is high Van der Dunk can play Leek Martins, maybe the most dangerous player on the field, yep. in behind yep. down the line, mm-hmm. and Martins can get a cross in, which leads to the corner kick. Yeah. So that's an example of Japan's plan: working then not working yeah, in two and phases.
1: And it's also like the case of that ball from Bloodworth. It's not as though she is like you know only twenty-five yards from her own goal, and she hits this big long diagonal. She's basically at midfield, and yeah, I think it's, it's also like a little chip, basically. Right. and I think this is where Japan like, were too conservative. Like, they basically were too high up at times, and then they were too far back at times, and then I think in the second half, they kind of figured it out. It was yeah. a lock situation. So
0: it's like the focus was on the tightness of the lines, mm-hmm. and they'd almost, like, secondary was where all the lines should be yeah. positioned, yeah. and that was the problem. Because, I mean, yeah. in the
1: first... I mean, the, the goal is in, what, the
0: 17th minute, but prior to that, I think four different attacks...
1: Uh, nearly come off for the for the Dutch by attacking specifically the Japanese right side, the Dutch left side with those long balls over the top or yeah. kind of direct so balls over the mostly, yeah. 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 And so here, as you've said, this one, it ends up being the sort of like Semi-long diagonal, and then a good through ball because that line is high. It ends up being blocked out for a corner kick, though. And then we have a very pretty goal because I think it was intentional. So this I'm choosing to believe it was, at least.
0: It's the corner kick. Mm -hmm. Martins does a mid-air back heel uh, that nutmegs Sugasawa, the Japanese player, to score. It's going to be one of the most memorable goals of this tournament, right? So we can maybe talk later about Martins' technique and Mm -hmm. how she does this. But the more interesting thing to me is the absolute mess Japan make of their marking system.
1: Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it immensely because you because when we rewatched it together, we were both sort of like, okay, so Japan are in a 4v4. No, wait, there's five Dutch players. Yep. So there's just four Japanese defenders marking five Dutch players.
0: Four Japanese defenders man-marking yep. five Dutch players. And the, the one who's
1: not marked is Martins. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: And I, this this was really hard for me because mm-hmm. I just could not comprehend that this had happened. Yeah. I, I can't believe that a, a team at the World Cup... Did this. I, I think, think you, there must be some mistake.
1: You kept trying to bail out Japan by being like, but like, Kumagai is sort of paying attention. It's like, yeah, yeah she's eight yards
0: away. <laughs> like, and she's in a zone, right? Yeah. So Kumagai and I think Sugasawa yep. are essentially in the six-yard box doing mm-hmm. some sort of zonal defending to maybe attack the ball if it comes in there. Yep. But then they've left the rest of their team, four defenders versus five Dutch attackers. Yep. And again, I cannot understand how this happened. Even on our Sunday team, our mm. amateur Sunday team, uh, someone would say, that player's free. Pull someone in, or stop zone, or go and mm-hmm. go and man mark that player. Make sure we've got. If we're going to commit to man marking, you've at least got to have every man covered, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, as the person as the space. person who routinely uh, stands up top on on corner kicks yeah. when we're defending uh, as an outlet, I would be screamed at to come back and help. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's what you do. Is that you? Fine. If you want to have somebody covering the short corner, you would have. Uh, I think. Uh, the Dutch had somebody out there in case they did go short, so I think you had two Japanese players out there. Fine, if you want to do that, but then that means, yes, yeah, somebody else has to be aware and, and drop yeah. in and be a bit more defensive.
0: And they pay for this mistake. Yeah. Because it is Leek Martins, who is wide open, so she can make that sort of easy jog mm-hmm. like sort of near post jog meet the ball and back heel it in the air yep. through the legs of Sugasawa which yeah. I'm, I'm assuming is accidental but the back heel was very deliberate it was and I mean
1: maybe maybe she's trying to put it on frame obviously it ends up being the case so I'm sure she'll claim she was but if nothing else she is wide open to flick a ball in to completely change an angle inside the 6 yard box right by the goal yeah. if nothing else it's going to make things very confusing for Japan to deal with
0: I've just realised the fact that she receives this with her feet mm-hmm. the back heel is like the feet not yeah. the head is a testament to the lack of marking because it means the ball was able to yep. get in there and drop down with no one getting to it first. And,
1: and, there, and Japan had two different players tasked with cutting out that low-driven yeah. ball, neither of whom, one of whom was bypassed,
0: one of whom couldn't get to the ball in the end. 1-0 mm-hmm. to the Netherlands. Uh, but Japan equalised with a really nice passing yeah. goal. It's what, uh, Hasegawa? Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the first half, right? It 43rd is. minute or so. Mm-hmm. There's so much to like about this goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's you could see... Japan's starting to find their footing
1: a little yeah. bit uh, in the 19th minute. There's a sequence that's similar to this one. Uh, Sugasawa ends up hitting the post, but she has a kind of good uh, accommodation play in and around the Dutch box with Hasegawa. So it's, it, I think that I bring that up just to say that I feel like Japan did start to slow it down like closer to when the goal was scored, then it's not quite a like. Oh, they only found it at the very end, and they managed to get this one goal. Yeah. you could see no, what they, they got were their trying lines to do, right? right? Like yeah, I
0: mean, I think we've said it enough times yeah. to not have to repeat it. But they essentially managed to have the line not mm-hmm. too high, but keep the compactness so that the Netherlands couldn't pass through. Yeah, them. yeah. And,
1: and then it, and then once the Dutch kind of couldn't play the long ball over the top, which I think is an aspect of how Japan were able to deal with it. And they couldn't play through. They ended up still trying to play through and getting caught in possession two, a lot. Played
0: two Japanese players. Yeah, they played the ball directly to Japanese players. Then Japan have the ball. They then they're able to start some really nice passing moves mm-hmm. yeah. yes,
1: and in this one it's uh yeah to go back I think it's uh, Sugita intercepts the ball she yeah. plays in Sugasawa Sugasawa lays off for Iwabuchi and Iwabuchi is I don't know what percentage I'm gonna give her, but she gets a significant percentage of the credit for this goal oh
0: seventy at least
1: I mean a Hasegawa probably deserves a little bit for
0: making sure she's on side and scoring.
1: I'm, I'm giving Hasagawa like 50, and I'm giving Iwabuchi like 40. Okay. That's where, about where I am. I, you,
0: I'm not going to argue with
1: Iwabuchi, you. Iwabuchi, when that ball is dropped in by Sugasawa. That's fair. better things to do. That's fair. <laughs> uh, she like, basically so, she dummies it. She lets it roll through her legs and yeah. turns in the same motion, which blocks off three Dutch players who are trying to get to that ball. But then also because they then overpursue, she's able to basically play the ball back in like the direction from whence yeah, it came. she changes direction yeah. twice, right? And mm-hmm. just
0: defenders, are just essentially, their heads are spinning at this point.
1: And it's as evidenced by the fact that that back line is is something to look at because it is <laughs> if it's a back 4 then like two, like the two outside defenders the two fullbacks are a good 3 yards behind the two center backs because i think they've been pulled out and are and again in a state of sort of flux because they're not quite sure who needs to be where because of this good passing sequence from Japan.
0: Oh, and how about the finish then? Mm-hmm. The uh, well, finish from Hasegawa. Oh, you got more to say um, about Iwabuchi? Well,
1: no, i want to jump in to say but even before the finish, Hasegawa is offside when this kind of starts, when that drop oh, right, back okay. from Sugasawa happens and she checks back a good 3 yards to make sure she's onside because she's in line with the the far side fullback so she knows she's good okay. and then the ball is played in. So That little... Uh, check two and then and then running behind is the key there to be in a position to then have a really good
0: finish let's talk about that finish because sure. I think she absolutely mm-hmm. fakes out the keeper I she's, didn't at first
1: I, I thought at first it was fortuitous watching it again you have me convinced that yeah I think she's she is shaping up to do it's like a driven chip because she gets a lot of height behind it but that's yeah. kind of what she needs to do to get it over the goalkeeper
0: and she's shaping up like she's going to go bottom left mm-hmm. right and so the keeper kind of commits to yep. that and she's leaning back a little bit and she manages to chip it top right mm-hmm. it's a weird finish Finish, but it's a really clever finish. I like it a lot.
1: It is, especially because uh, Van Vandenhal, the Dutch goalkeeper, is off her line quick. And yeah. so I think, especially given how close Hasegawa is, uh, Van Vandenhal is almost able to get there. If she doesn't put it where she puts it, I think it probably gets saved. So, she yeah. just
0: needs that bit of misdirection, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, so late in the second half, it's 1-1 at half time. Mm-hmm. Late in the second half, Japan have, what, four really yeah. good chances in the space of 10 yeah. minutes? Mm-hmm. This is the moment where you were going to go and put all your money um, on Japan to win this game, right? Yeah, because it... I was pretty – it felt to me
1: like, okay, Japan are trying to play this high line. They're trying to be really rigid defensively. A thing that tends to happen when teams are so focused on keeping shape, keeping shape, keeping shape, but also playing a high line and then having to kind of sprint back quickly is they get tired. It's what happens. And so I kind of expected that eventually the Japanese defenders would be so tired that they would stop kind of making smart defensive plays. Yeah. And really, they kind of adjusted uh, to what the Dutch were doing very effectively and I think kind of tired out the Dutch. I think the Dutch got tired of those runs. The
0: Dutch got tired of not Mm -hmm. completing passes. They wanted to find those passes in midfield and Japan just weren't letting them do it. -hmm. This is actually the first time I've really enjoyed Japan. I'll say that like, yeah. through the group stage, I just didn't think they were very entertaining to watch. The second half, especially, they're really entertaining to watch. Lots of uh, passing mm-hmm. and moving. It makes me excited to see this Japan team again. Yeah, not at this World Cup, I guess, but maybe not. maybe some other tournament in the future. Yeah. Because- oh, but- 2020 Olympics, they'll be hosting. That would make they're already sense. qualified. They're the probably the only team already qualified.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll be there for that. Um, and I would assume, yeah, a decent amount of the squad will be there for that. Yeah. And I hope they will be because, yeah, I think because Japan did figure it out because I think they ended up not having to exert quite as much energy to continue to cover all the ground they did I think you see them start to be the more dominant team and have a bit more energy yeah. and that's why you start to see really good passing combinations in the box a lot of it led by Iwabuchi with some really clever disguised passes nice back heel, a nice layoff she yeah she was causing lots of problems for the Dutch defense and I think if they were a little bit better fi- better finishing for Japan they could have gotten a couple goals yeah, yeah. In, that, in that like 71 to 80 minute uh, like uh, period
0: or if in the 88th-89th minute, yeah. uh, Kumagai mm. hadn't handballed in the box. Yes, also yeah. that. <laughs> so this part of this is a Dutch substitution, right? Mm-hmm. Shanice van der Sanden is replaced by Berenstein. Mm-hmm. Not for the first time in this tournament. This no. is definitely the go-to sub for the Dutch. Is if things aren't quite working, they don't reshape everything. Nope. They just say, all right, Shanice van der Sanden, right winger, come off. We'll put Berenstein in, mm-hmm. right winger, and we'll just see if that makes a difference. And you would think that it wouldn't. But it absolutely did. It did because <laughs> Berenstein went mm-hmm. down the right, plays a one-two with the fullback. I think drives into the box. Uh, I think she's crossing uh, like more crosses the shot box, but yep. it's deflected back to Midamar. Mm-hmm. Big fan of Midamar here. Yep. Midamar's shot is blocked by the hands of Kumagai.
1: Yes, and I mean uh, you loved you loved uh, Midamar
0: just standing there with the one hand in the air, just very I, stoic. So I love her celebrations because yeah. they're so casual. Like she just casually celebrates mm-hmm. a goal. She even appeals for handball in the eighty-ninth minute. Casually, just Mm. slowly raise her arm, no gesticulating to the ref, just stand there with your arm in the air. Yes. Uh, the most casual player at the World Cup.
1: We, we didn't uh, clarify. Somebody sent us a tweet. The somersault, I think it was, that she yeah. did uh, was her brother just telling her she should do that, so she did it. <laughs> like, I think she that's what it came back it like from. Sa- or maybe her brother did it. I forget. It was
0: almost so deadpan it was oh, yeah. like, sarcastic or sardonic. That was the best part. Of it. I mean, it's very Dutch. <laughs> that's, there you go. Uh, very yeah. very medium.
1: But she, but she definitely gets a good shot to this. Uh, it's, it's harsh, I think, because Kumagai is just trying to close the gap, yeah. but she does have her arms out. It's not like the natural silhouette. I think there is enough of a distance there for her to maybe be able to like lower her arm not yeah. necessarily like to see the ball and do it but when distance is a factor it probably needs to be a little bit closer yeah, and also true. because i think she is sort of scrambling because it is a, a pass that's cut out yeah. or a shot that's cut out she sort of is then reacting and thus is not quite in control yeah. so it's really handball, hard though right yeah. you
0: can say like keep your arms down at all times mm-hmm. but if you've ever if you've ever run around and tried to keep your balance yeah. your arms are part of keeping your balance so yes. your arms do come out from the natural silhouette just natural naturally. naturally for you to keep your balance, so you've yes. got to do that and not get it in the way of the ball. It's a tough job. It is. We've seen a lot of a lot of penalties called for handball mm-hmm. at this World Cup and at the last World Cup. where yeah. we had VAR.
1: Yeah, and and it is worth noting that uh, Kumiya does similar to what Aslani did yesterday for Sweden. When this happens, if you watch, her arms just both immediately go down by her yeah. sides and she keeps them down there. Which, it was never
0: there. You never it, saw it.
1: I don't think it was even intentional. I think it's just an automatic reaction when you know that you've oh, yeah, handled you handle right? the ball. You kind
0: of panic for a moment. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Penalty is dispatched. Yep. It is to who scores the penalty, Markins. I actually don't know. There you go. She gets a, brace. Martins. Yes. Martins gets a brace. Had come in for lots of scrutiny
1: for not scoring, yeah. now has scored two.
0: Oh, doesn't she do the um, she sort of shakes, she shapes yep. like she's going left and then goes right mm-hmm. instead? Doesn't she plays read, a little head game, yep. yeah. Yeah, she doesn't even read the keeper. I don't think she reacts to the keeper going. I think she just is so confident that her shape will fake out yeah. the keeper that she knows what she's doing. And it does, yeah, because she's, she's, she's like it's like doing the Rapino thing mm-hmm. of knowing what you pick a spot and know where you're going, yeah. but you just add a bit of misdirection into it, but you never deviate I from mean, the path. She basically, I mean, she basically shapes like she's
1: going to do exactly what Megan Rubino did which is hit it with laces back across her body into like the left side netting Uh, and then instead of the very last minute just opens up and passes it to the right side goalkeeper
0: bites on the shape, dives the other way and the Dutch get the win. 2-1 Netherlands, Mm. they go through to the quarterfinal where they will face Italy. Mm. I think that's a really exciting game that will be exciting to watch Um, There's one just like Dutch tactical note I'd like us to briefly discuss just Mm. because we noticed it during this game and I think it'll be a thing to watch going forward and it's Danielle van der Dunk, when the Dutch are defending mm-hmm. so she is uh, we, we talk about pressing triggers a lot right like often like the team will start to press when the opposition passes to the goalkeeper or the opposition defender takes a slightly rough touch backwards, and then you know that it 's mm-hmm. time to go. I think from what we saw with the Dutch, the pressing trigger is when Danielle van der Dunk decides it's time to press. Mm-hmm. She's a one-woman sort of uh, pressing trigger and leader of the entire operation. Yeah, I mean,
1: the, the problem there, though, is that on, on multiplications, she decided and sprinted 20 yards. But then that requires everybody else to yeah. sort of be very aware of what she's doing. and So, so it's there, not
0: simultaneous. Right? No. Maybe it's better to have a trigger that everyone can see and react to at the same time. I think
1: it definitely rather is. Rather than
0: one person getting a head start. Yeah,
1: because even there's <laughs> one moment in the first half when when she does it and then the ball goes wide and then she needs Fanta Sand and is it, sort of like, oh, we're doing it? Okay, I'll try. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. tries to get there. But just because she's reacting as opposed to doing it automatically, yeah. it buys a little bit of time for Japan.
0: Okay, so I agree that maybe it's not ideal, but it is interesting yeah. because it's just a thing we don't see a lot. Often you don't put that mm. much responsibility on one creative player to have that much role in the defensive press yeah, all right. so I, I consider that noted alright <laughs> I'm right. glad you do so there's no Women's World Cup tomorrow
1: there's,
0: it's just off until, mm-hmm. until Thursday when the quarterfinals start it's just weird to have a break in the tournament but there is gold cup there is Um, the usa will be playing panama in the gold cup wednesday night we will be recording one more show today and putting it out in the feed um our usa versus panama preview where we we also plan to talk i'm gonna use the code word glass door Mm -hmm. you even know what that means or you don't by the end of the show You will know. Uh, We'll close this up by saying, Taylor Rockwell over there, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.